Luke chapter 18 is what we'll be reading this morning, verses 35 through 43. If you would all please stand for the reading of God's word. Luke 18, reading verses 35 through the end of the chapter. It says, As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. We pray, Father, now that you would give us insight as we study your word. Uh, help us to uh, see more of a glimpse of our Savior in this story of the healing of this blind man. Pray that you would uh, be with us today as we study scripture. Help us to rightly understand what it is that the Spirit has for us to uh, gain this morning. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Throughout these last uh, couple of years almost that we've been working our way through Luke's gospel, we have encountered many stories like the one that we have before us today. Jesus became famous throughout Israel for his teachings, no doubt, but perhaps even more so for his miracles. Uh, he fed 5,000 people with a small lunch. He walked on water. He calmed storms. He raised the dead. He healed all manner of illness. He cast demons out of people who were possessed. And as one would expect, a person with this kind of power to perform miracles would quickly become the talk of the town everywhere that he went. We're told after Jesus had raised a dead man back to life in Luke 7 that this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Uh, over in Matthew 4, we're given a similar summary of Jesus' ministry. It says, He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And so everyone in Israel had heard the stories about Jesus of Nazareth. And when news came that Jesus was headed to a certain town, all of the sick people, all of those who were possessed of demons, they would come out to him seeking healing. And such is the case with the blind man in our text. We pick up the story in verse 35 of Luke 18, where it says that Jesus drew near to Jericho. And a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. First, notice the location is Jericho. Uh, back to our map here from last week. This is uh, down in the southern part of Israel, not very far from Jerusalem. Uh, this city is probably most familiar to you from the book of Joshua, where the Israelites were commanded by God to uh, walk around the city seven times. That crazy story where God causes the walls to fall down and so the people conquered the city. Uh, Jericho is located about 15 miles from Jerusalem, which would be about a day's walk on foot. And so this is really the last stop on the journey to Jerusalem. Uh, we said last week that from Luke 9 to 19, that entire uh, 10 chapters or so there is this trip from Galilee in the north down to Jerusalem where Jesus will be crucified. And Jericho is the last stop on the journey. 
Jesus and his followers will pass through Jericho in the beginning of chapter 19, where he's going to visit with Zacchaeus. We'll see that next week. And then he'll ascend that 3,000-foot climb up to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, verse 1 of the next chapter says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And you see, this, this is all pointing to Jerusalem. He's passing through this last city, city on his way. Verse 28, uh, after the encounter with Zacchaeus in chapter 19, it says, When he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And so we're very near the end of Jesus' earthly life and ministry now. These are some of the final days before the cross. This is, in fact, the last of Jesus' miraculous healings before his arrest and betrayal. Uh, the next time we'll see a healing from Jesus, or really any sort of miracle for that matter, is when uh, Peter cuts off that guy's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus puts it back on. Uh, so this is really <clears throat> the last of his... <clears throat> uh, miracles through his preaching ministry. Jesus' ministry of traveling and teaching and healing all around Israel, preaching the gospel, is nearing its end. And as we'll see in the next chapter, a major turning point in the book. Uh, from that point forward, Jesus will be teaching primarily about the coming judgment against Jerusalem for crucifying their Messiah. And as he does this, the crowds will turn on him. And eventually he'll be arrested, tried, and executed. Dark days are ahead in the life of Jesus. And so this final healing before the arrest is like the last glimmer of light that is very quickly fading away. Notice verse 35 says that this blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. This is quite a typical sight in that day. Uh, those with, with diseases or physical defects that kept them from being able to work would then be forced to become beggars. They would often sit somewhere near a main road entering or leaving a city in order to be seen by everyone passing through and hopefully get some food or a few coins. It was a miserable life with no real hope of circumstances improving. And to make matters worse, the Jews were not overly compassionate towards people who were beggars. They believed that someone in this condition of blindness, for example, was suffering under God's judgment for some unknown sin. Uh, we see this kind of mindset throughout the Bible, but just one example, over in John 9, we're told, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, they asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, <laughs> this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see this just assumption that, well, he's blind, it's his own fault. Jesus, of course, corrects that assumption in the next verse and tells them, basically, not everyone who suffers in such a way is under God's judgment for sins they've committed. But this was the common idea, and such a judgmental attitude led to a real heartlessness. Uh, they would walk by these beggars and mostly do nothing for them. But not Jesus. Uh, this is one of the aspects of Christ's heart that was so different from those around him. He cared about people that no one else cared for. He spent time with the tax collectors, with the lepers, with the prostitutes. He welcomed little children to come to him when the disciples wanted them to leave and stop bothering them. Jesus had a heart of compassion for the outcasts of society. Now, before we read the account of the man's healing, uh, we do need to deal with an apparent contradiction. And I think this is a good uh, example for us on how to study Scripture, because sometimes when you read parallel accounts uh, in the Gospels or anywhere, really, where you have the same account given in multiple places, uh, sometimes you might notice something that seems like a difference. And you say, well, wait a minute, one of these has to be right and the other one wrong. And so we've got one of these apparent contradictions here between Matthew's account and Luke's. Okay, we've already read through uh, Luke's account here a few minutes ago. Let's read through Matthew 20. Uh, same account of the same story and see if you notice the difference. It says in verse 30, 
Behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, saying, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Uh, the difference is pretty glaring, isn't it? In Luke's gospel, you have one blind man being healed. In Matthew's gospel, there are two blind men. It's the same story. It's located in the city of Jericho. It's placed right before Jesus enters Jerusalem in both Matthew and Luke. And so we can have no doubt that this is the same event. So why is it that Luke would focus only on one of the two blind men? Uh, before we try to answer that, let's also throw in Mark's account into the mix, because Mark writes in chapter 10 of the same healing story. Again, this is just before the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Mark says, They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Again, just like Luke, Mark focuses in on one of the two blind men. And here, Mark gives us his name, Bartimaeus. He even gives us his father's name, Timaeus. Now, what does all of this mean? Were there two blind men? Were there one? Uh, why is he named only in one of the three Gospels? Uh, here is my best attempt to answer these questions about why there are these differences. First, we need to consider the authors and the dating of the three Gospels. Uh, it is widely accepted that the Gospel of Mark was the first of the four Gospels written. Uh, it may have been written as early as, you know, 15 years or so after Jesus' death and resurrection. So this is a very early gospel account. Mark, of course, was a scribe, and we know from church history that he was writing the gospel according to what Peter gave him. So basically, the gospel of Mark, we could call it the gospel of Peter. It's Peter's account of the life and ministry of Jesus. Mark simply was the one who wrote it down while Peter dictated. So this is an early account of Jesus' life and ministry by an eyewitness, the apostle Peter, who was there for all of these events taking place. As for the naming of Bartimaeus in the, in the Gospel of Mark, it seems likely that he is named because the readers of Mark's Gospel would actually know him. Uh, we're told at the end of the story in Mark that Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So if Bartimaeus, uh, from that day forward, became a follower of Jesus, it seems reasonable that the early Christians in Jerusalem might actually know him personally. And so naming him, giving his name in the gospel makes sense because they could actually go talk to Bartimaeus. He, he might have been a member of their church. And so, of course, Mark would include his name. Uh, by the way, this is the only person healed in the entire gospel of Mark that is named. Nobody else is given a name. It's, it's normally just Jesus healed a blind man or healed a leper or raised somebody, uh, someone's daughter from the dead. But it's never given someone's name specifically. And so here, with the mention of the name, it seems to indicate that the audience reading the book of Mark, would be familiar with who this Bartimaeus was. Uh, Matthew's gospel was written much later, also by an eyewitness. Of course, Matthew was another one of the 12 apostles of Jesus who was present throughout his ministry. And he records the events as he remembers and as he saw them take place. Uh, and so he tells us uh, accurately that there were two blind men that were healed. Mark focuses on Bartimaeus, again, because his audience would actually know Bartimaeus. And so this is why there might be a difference there. Now, when we get to the Gospel of Luke, Luke was not an eyewitness. Uh, he wasn't there. Luke was not one of the 12 apostles. But we know where Luke got the information because he writes in the book 
uh, I'm sorry, we know where he gets the information because he tells us right at the very beginning of, of the Gospel of Luke how he came to know so much about Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, it's quite likely by now that you don't remember how uh, Luke 1 begins since we covered that quite a while ago. So here's a reminder. Uh, Luke 1 verse 1 says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word uh, delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke tells us right from the beginning of the letter, uh, many others have written about the ministry of Jesus, eyewitnesses who saw it happen. And Luke tells us that he studied all of these accounts and he decided to write a chronological retelling of Jesus' life. And what follows in Luke's gospel is just that. He's giving us a detailed biography of Jesus' life uh, that was not based upon his own observation. He wasn't there for these events. Rather, he did research. Uh, he read other accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, very likely including the Gospel of Mark, which was written much earlier. And so Luke then is depending on eyewitness accounts throughout the book. He's copying what he has gathered from these other sources, including the Gospel of Mark. Uh, biblical scholars have long noted the remarkable similarity between Mark and Luke's Gospels. Uh, most of what Mark writes is included in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, there's some extra material in Luke as well, primarily the birth stories of Jesus and some of his parables. And so it seems likely that Mark was one of the sources that Luke had when he compiled his gospel. In fact, many verses, if you line them up right next to each other in Mark and Luke, they read verbatim the same. And so Luke then doesn't mention the second blind man because Mark didn't mention him. If this was his source, then of course he wouldn't have even known that there was a second blind man. Mark was focusing on one of the two men, Bartimaeus, because he would have been known to the early Christians that he was writing to. Luke, writing much later, doesn't include the name Bartimaeus because, again, he's writing to Theophilus, someone who seems to have lived very far from Israel and would never have known who Bartimaeus was, so it wouldn't make sense to mention his name. And if you want to know how we know that Theophilus lived outside of Israel, you have to go online, find my first sermon on Luke in the intro because it's way too much to go over right now. So, to summarize, all three accounts are perfectly accurate. There is no contradiction there. Uh, Matthew tells us there were two blind men that were healed. Mark focuses on Bartimaeus because of his familiarity with his readers. And Luke, copying the story from Mark, uh, doesn't mention his name because that would have meant nothing to Theophilus, who would not have known Bartimaeus. And by the way, there's nothing uh, heretical about saying that Luke copied from other sources because Luke himself tells us this. Uh, he says it right in the beginning of the letter that, yes, he, he looked at other accounts for his information. Back to our text, verse 35. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man, this would be Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd go by, he inquired what this meant. Now, those who can't see typically have a, sight, a heightened sense of hearing, and vice versa too. People who can't hear typically have very good observation with their sight. And so this blind man is aware of the sounds around him, and he recognizes that something unusual is going on. And so he asks people around him, what's happening? What's going on? Verse 37, they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, at this point, you know what he's thinking. As we saw at the beginning, uh, Jesus' reputation preceded him everywhere that he went. This was the healer. This was the teacher from Galilee who had cast out demons and cleansed lepers and even raised the dead. 
And with the very mention of the name of Jesus, hope came to this formerly hopeless man. Uh, This was his chance. Verse 38 says, he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't whisper, nor did he just say it. He cried out. Uh, This moment was his one opportunity for his life to be forever changed. If Jesus walked by without noticing him, he would never be coming back that way. And so, as you would expect, this blind man is desperately calling out to him. Verse 39, those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Notice that although he had been told Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, Bartimaeus doesn't call him Jesus of Nazareth. He calls him Jesus, Son of David. This is a messianic title. A son of David means you're the heir of David's throne. You're the king that we've been waiting for. The title son of David refers to the promise that God had made to David of one of his descendants sitting on the throne and ruling forever. And so Bartimaeus is demonstrating by the use of this title that he knows who Jesus is. He knows that he is the Messiah. The religious leaders had rejected Jesus long ago. Uh, Many of the common people were undecided at this point about who Jesus was and whether he could be the Messiah. Uh, Back in Galilee, when Jesus had fed 5,000, the crowd was ready to make him king. They seemed convinced that this was the Messiah. But then the next day, when he didn't meet their expectations, we're told in John 6 that many stopped following him from that point forward. They seemed to have lost hope that he could be the Messiah. And so while many of the people were wondering if Jesus was perhaps the Messiah, Bartimaeus was certain. Uh, Paradoxically, it is the blind man who sees clearly who Jesus was. Notice also in the blind beggar's cry is this request for mercy. He doesn't come seeking healing on the basis of merit. Instead, he comes in desperate need to the one that he knows can heal him. Verse 40 says, Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, Notice, by the way, Jesus stops. He commands him to come to him. The others in the crowd wanted to silence the beggar uh, who was bothering them. Jesus stops and listens. And where it says there at the end, he came near to him. Mark gives us a little more detail uh, in his account of this. Verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. You can, again, sense that desperate hope in this blind man. Jesus says to him in verse 41, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. As we've seen in some other places in Luke, that last phrase can be understood in two different ways. Uh, The Greek word is sotso, which is the word for saved. Your faith has saved you. Now, depending on the context, that can simply mean you've been physically healed, or it can mean spiritual salvation. And in this particular instance, I'm not sure which it is. If you compare different uh, English Bible translations at this point, you'll see some of them say he was saved, some of them say he was healed or uh, made well, like like the ESV does. Regardless of how we understand this particular phrase, I do believe this man was saved spiritually as well as physically. As we've said already, it seems based on Mark's mention of his name uh, that he would have been known to the early Christians reading Mark's gospel. But notice in verse 43 of Luke, it says, Immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is a mark of true conversion to Christ. He begins glorifying God and he begins a life following Jesus. 
Bartimaeus didn't just say thank you and go on his way with his sight recovered. Instead, he devoted himself to Jesus and became a disciple. Uh, the Greek word there for follow is in what's called the imperfect tense, which signifies this is the beginning of an ongoing action. So we could say he was healed, and from that day forward, he followed Jesus. As we've seen already, he likely followed Jesus to the cross and then became a part of the early church in Acts. Uh, one final detail I want to point out. This is included in Matthew's uh, version of the story, but not in Luke's. And again, Matthew is telling here of two blind men, including Bartimaeus, that were healed. Verse 34 says, Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. It's striking how different Jesus' heart for these blind men was than the others in the crowd. Uh, they wanted to keep moving. Jesus stopped. They wanted the blind man to be quiet and go away. Jesus told him to come to him. The high king of heaven, the, the creator of the universe, stopped to help a poor beggar who called out to him in desperate faith. When others did not care, Jesus did. He had compassion for the despised, for the outcasts of society. And it is this heart of compassion that gave people like Bartimaeus the boldness to call out and ignore those who were trying to silence them. Bartimaeus knew that if he could get Jesus' attention, that he would care enough to stop and heal him. Jesus is powerful, no doubt. He can command demonic forces, and they must obey. He can calm a storm and raise the dead. But Jesus is also described as gentle and lowly in heart. He is accessible. He is approachable. He's the type of person that diseased beggars and shameful prostitutes flocked to. Because unlike everybody else who wanted to be away from them, Jesus loved them. He listened to them. He had compassion on those in need. This wasn't Jesus' disposition toward everyone. Uh, we see him throughout the Gospels sharply rebuking uh, self-righteous Pharisees or hypocritical fakes like Judas Iscariot. But when someone like Bartimaeus calls out in faith, have mercy on me, that's a cry that Jesus will hear with compassion. Our weakness and our desperate need is the very thing that draws his heart to us. And so our text today, Bartimaeus really shows us what faith in Jesus looks like. If you know Jesus has the power to help you, and you know that Jesus has a heart of compassion towards you, those two truths are the pillars on which bold faith rests. Bartimaeus had that kind of faith. He believed Jesus was the son of David, the Messiah, who could heal him and give his sight back. And he called out to him for mercy, trusting in his heart of compassion toward him. It may be the greatest victory that Satan wins against us when we believe the lie that Jesus is cold and austere, that he's angry at us and quick to judge when we fail in some way. Nothing could be further from the truth. Throughout the Old and New Testament, we're shown a God who is patient and merciful, a God who reluctantly sends judgment, but even then he pleads with us to turn from our sin and be saved. And the story of Bartimaeus is just another glimpse into the tender heart of our Savior. Now, as we read a story like this, you might be tempted to think, well, how does this apply to my life? Uh, how does Jesus healing a blind guy 2,000 years ago apply to me? And in one sense, it really doesn't. Maybe it's not really meant to. Asking how we ought to live in light of each text in the Bible is generally a good practice, but not every text is included simply to give us an example to follow or a sin to avoid. In some cases, the application is simply to see the heart of Jesus, to remind ourselves of the kind of God that we have, one who loves us, one who helps those who are in need. He cares about those who are ignored by others. 
He hears our cries for mercy, and he responds with compassion. As Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's the only place in all of the Bible where we're told what the heart of Jesus is like. And he doesn't describe it as powerful. He doesn't describe it as holy and just. He describes it as gentle and lowly. This is what Jesus' heart is toward us. Gentle and lowly, accessible, kind, compassionate. May we be reminded of the type of Savior that we have.